Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my good friend. She is cooler than Ahsoka reading the Ahsoka novel with some sick sunglasses on, listening to that rock music that Zeb listens to in Star Wars Rebels. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Lindsay. Oh, that's real meta, too. I know, right? Real Man, do you think Ahsoka would read a book about herself, or would she be... I think she would get a kick out of it. I think she would read it just to be like, that's not how... No, that's not, not what happened <laughs> at all. That's, that's not even close to how great it was. I, like, Luke, I can see him reading his, his press clippings, right? Like, that's kind of what, what happens in Last Jedi. He just kind of starts to believe that legend right i don't think ahsoka would believe that legend like i i think she would understand that she's a legend but not yeah she would brush it off whereas luke would google himself oh yeah for sure Ooh, space google man imagine if they had that everything would i feel like everything would work better if they just had like instant messenger or something like not even internet 2.0 go (laughs) I mean, I guess that's what R2 is for. Yeah, that's He does true. everything. Except for he's a jerk and doesn't tell people the actual important stuff. <laughs> you know. But hey, who, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to judge R2. not here to judge uh, anybody. I've already judged everybody. It's good. So we are going to talk about uh, Resistance Reborn today. I'm very excited about that. I know this has been... Um, we, we had our interview with Rebecca Rowanhorse a little bit ago, and that, of course, got us really excited. And then we actually opened the book, and we were like, oh, hey, this is actually amazing. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we do that, if you have not listened to the most recent episode of Clashing Sabers, which we dropped on Monday, where we talked about our uh, things that we want and things that we don't want in Tross, we had a, li- a little announcement. I don't know, Lindsay, it's not that important. I don't even know if I should talk about it. Yeah, I don't think anyone here is going to care. All right, we'll skip it. So, uh, Wait, let's I don't know. Let's let's tell them anyway. Let's frustrate them. Okay. So, um make sure you're far away from your phone so you can't press the skip button or anything. You're going to have to suffer. Ladies and gentlemen, um I bring to you news from across the galaxy. Clashing Sabers is now a nonprofit organization. That is spreading literacy across the country by getting Star Wars books into schools and classrooms. I'm so excited about this. Oh, my God. I really really can't wait. We've been talking about this for so long, and I feel like it is, number one, a giant weight off of our shoulders to finally be able to announce this and then just such a blessing that it's it's coming to fruition and we get to actually put this out there and start to kind of spread, you know, spread not only literacy, but spread Star Wars through all these schools and be able to touch other students the way that you and I were so heavily impacted when we were that age. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
getting to talk about it last night, you know, and, and the show will release, you know, released on Monday. But when we got done, it really was like a giant weight off of my shoulders. The only time, like, it wasn't the same level, but the only time I can kind of equate to was when I proposed to Brooke because that had been a year in the making and so many moving parts and getting everything to work. And so not even I wasn't even super excited about being engaged. I was super excited that I was done with the engagement. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's kind of the same thing here. Like I'm I'm more the weight I think that's lifted is we don't have to keep this secret anymore. We can tell everybody all this hard work that that Drew has put in um, finally comes to fruition. So if you want to know like kind of in depth about that, uh, make sure you check out the most recent episode of Clashing Sabers. It's right at the beginning um, if you haven't listened. But basically what we're going to be doing is we are going to be doing a Patreon um, that will fundraise money so that we can get books into schools and classrooms across the country, like we said. Um, so all the all the money will go like directly to books. Um, this is not going to like cover hosting fees and new um, tech and stuff like that first and then, um, you know, donate to, to schools. We're going to do everything we can to have every dollar that we get go back into the classroom. And uh, kind of as a, a kickoff, we are going to be doing a fundraiser that if you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, you are going to be very interested in. Uh, it's a silent auction. We had some of the wonderful authors who we have had on the show over the past uh, five or six months uh, donate rather uh, some books that are signed for us to to auction off. So we have um, some Delilah Dawson. We have two from Claudia Gray. Uh, we have Zerata Cordova, and we have an amazing uh, hair of pop vinyl that is signed by the fantastic Vanessa Marshall. So make sure you're staying tuned to the network uh, and listening to all the shows and everything, so you can stay up to date on that. Um, we will start the fundraiser on December 2nd, but we're going to do a preview day for those of you who are in our Facebook group, Clashing Saber Star Wars Community, so you actually get a chance to um, get on there first and, and bid for these. I mean, honestly, like, I had the, the books in my studio, and I had to go put them, like, up high in my closet because looking at them all the time, I'm like, I, I want to bid on these so bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll remind you, Brandon, and I'll certainly remind everyone listening, being that the auction starts in December, what a better thing to ask the Santa in your life for. That's very true. That's very true. And you mentioned something on the last episode of Clashing Sabres that I think is really important. If financially you can't afford to um, bid on something and you just want to donate, you know, whatever amount you can uh, get in touch with me and we can set that up every all the payments are going to be handled directly by me so you, we're not going to be dealing with any third party app where you have to you know give your credit card or, or whatever too um so if something goes wrong you'll know whose fault it is and um but also if you <laughs> if you can't uh if you can't donate at all like we totally understand um and just like retweeting about it and sharing the facebook posts and telling your friends and, you know, telling your friends who might be getting you some gifts uh, that you want this particular yeah. book. Just because, like you said, 100% of the proceeds, either through the auction, through the Patreon, anything, goes 
really and truly 100% towards getting books, putting them in different schools. Um, that also means that none of this is going towards advertising for this charity at all. Uh, that's not through any kind of um, sponsored tweets, sponsored Facebook, any kind of social media marketing. So really word of mouth is just as big of a help and big of a push for us as any financial donation. So retweet it, uh, put it on your Facebook and certain, certainly every dollar counts. Yeah, absolutely. And and in advance, we appreciate everything that you guys do to support us. We've we've had a lot of new listeners come on since uh, we started having the interviews and doing our podcast series, going through all of the Star Wars films. And uh, welcome to all of you. We every every episode we get new listeners, which is fantastic. So whether you are a first time listener or you've been listening since the very beginning, we appreciate you and, and any support you can give us um, in this endeavor because it's something that's really close to our hearts. Obviously, we have a whole podcast, you know, delving into the Star Wars books, but both Lindsay and I grew up, you know, reading Star Wars books. It's what got us into reading. And so, you know, I, I kind of look at it if we can if we can do one for for one kid, if we can do do that, you know, inspire them to continue reading. Um, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So stay tuned. We will uh, keep you updated on all of that stuff. And um yeah, if you have any questions, of course, you can email us, clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com, and uh, we will address those. But before we uh, before we get into our, our book, I, I want to talk about a book that I actually read uh, that we're not going to cover a full episode on, and it's Secrets of the Jedi. Have you read this one, Lindsay? It is sitting on my desk, but between The Mandalorian and Jedi Fallen Order, I have to be honest, those have kind of taken precedence. I'm hoping to get to it tonight, though. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting book because it's written from the point of view of Luke Skywalker um, in the time between Rey leaving Octo and um, him projecting um, in the Battle of Crate. But what I found really interesting is you get the impression that Luke, he kind of made the Jedi very much in the vein of the prequel Jedi, except for one okay. one thing in particular, which, I mean, spoiler alert, but it's midi-chlorians. He kind of basically says he doesn't really care about midi-chlorians. You know, he cares about the connection with the Force. But in terms of, like, the structure and everything like that, it, it felt very much like he went back to the old ways. And I was just kind of wondering, do you get the impression in the film uh, that he he went back to doing things the way the Jedi did them in the prequels? Or what kind of was your impression of Luke's Jedi from what we have so far? My impression was it almost pre predates the prequels and uh, what he's, he was at least trying to do. <clears throat> and I think one is just the necessity of having a smaller, I don't want to say following, but a smaller group of force users that he was really working with. And then we, just from everything we know so far, would have to assume that he is mostly dealing with lessons that predate the Jedi we're familiar with. You know, there were obviously a lot of ancient text, but there's also so many just 
verbal passing of wisdoms. You know, he had the journal of Ben Kenobi that he was working out of. So I wonder how much he really and truly knows about the prequel Jedi, which is why I'm excited to dive into this book and find out a little bit more. I'm actually pretty shocked, though, to hear him mention Medichlorians at all. I definitely didn't get the impression from anything in The Last Jedi that that would be brought up again or that's something he even knew about. So the way this book is put together, it's kind of, <laughs> I mean, it's meant to feel like one of those books that would be in the in the tree on Octo. It's, it looks like it's in uh, written on parchment paper. It, you know, the font <laughs> is kind of handwritten. And so you have these different things that are that pop out or that you can unfold and, and it kind of is a scrapbook style thing. So the midichlorian okay. is, is kind of right in the corner um, of one page. It doesn't even take up a lot of the page, but I thought that, I thought that was kind of interesting because of course, you know, fandom doesn't really love midichlorians. I, I think it, it has become to be accepted and understood um, instead of reviled as it was at the start. But I think, this is it's really interesting that you know Luke points it out directly that you know these things exist but it doesn't really matter how many you have that doesn't establish uh, what kind of Jedi you are and it's literally like three sentences but it's what like a lot of fandom has been saying for for many years is that the Jedi were using too much science and what I like about the book is it gets back into um, kind of the the mythical aspect of it and it's it's cool to hear like connections to rebels and um you know he refers to some episodes in there um it's cool to read about ahsoka from his point of view so it's definitely worth checking out um it's it's a quick read if you if you just finish it in one night probably hour hour and a half if you're a slow reader like myself but uh it's definitely worth your time to to check it out and I think that's it for what I've been reading. What have you been reading other than Resistance Reborn? I have to be honest, nothing. (laughs) We have gotten so much content from Star Wars and other ways lately. Um, So I watched episode one of The Mandalorian a few times already. I've played Fallen Order for probably about eight hours total already. Um and then also just episode two of the Mandalorian as well. So kind of just between all that, that's been, I feel like taking up so much of my time. I haven't had time to sit down and actually open up a book lately. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading the empire strikes back novelization right now. Um, but I'm definitely kind of keeping things where I can jump in and out of them. I'm not like going through a book that I don't remember very well, like Most Wanted or Queen Shadow right now, because we are, like, we're getting Force Collector this week. Uh, it will probably be out for, for U.S. by the time that this show comes out. So there's just, like, there is a lot of content coming out. Then we have Rise of Kylo Ren. Something that kind of is interesting to me, and, and I kind of wanted your opinion on this. Well, I didn't kind of want your opinion. I actually want your opinion on this. Mandalorian doesn't have a comic connected to it, books connected to it. Like, other than the the toys, there it hasn't been. I mean, the marketing push has been gigantic, but the ancillary material is basically non-existent. Do you think after season one we will get some more maybe adventures with the Mandalorian or uh, connected stories, kind of like we do with uh, with the the films? 
I think connected stories. I don't think anything totally groundbreaking, though, because they are going to want to keep something for season two. Hopefully there's even more seasons to come at the rate we're going. Um, but I think they really want to hold off on any really big revelations for the TV show. And there's time. Um, the one thing that kind of does concern me that when I say we have time, I was under the impression that these were going to be about an hour long each week. And so far we have a 37 minute and 32 minute episode. Um, that goes from we thought we were getting eight hours worth of a story down to four hours. So I hope that there's some kind of connective tissue in ancillary material between season one and two. I just don't think it's going to be any big revelations about who the Mandalorian is. Um, spoiler, close your ears for 15 seconds if you haven't watched the first episode. Um, I don't think we're going to get any big revelations about Baby Yoda um, in ancillary material because this is really meant for everyone. This show is meant to be enjoyed by anyone with a Disney Plus subscription, regardless of do they read the comics, do they read the books, do they collect every single toy and analyze the packaging the way that we do. So I think, bottom line, I think all the big stuff is going to be kept in the TV show. Maybe some connective tissue for super background characters like Dr. Pershing in some books between him, but I don't think we're going to get as much as we're used to. I really want, you know they have those new, like, Be More Vader, Be More Lando books? Yeah. I want one of those from... Uh, from his friend's point of view, from the he's an Ugnot, right? The guy I the like him, yeah, Khalil. Khalil, okay, that's his name. He's fantastic. Oh, he's great. I want a, I want a whole book of like his advice, and at the end of like every page or every chapter, he just says, "I have spoken." And it's oh, that'd be great, right? And it's just like it's like common sense stuff, like be good to other people. I have spoken, like just yeah. shutting everybody up. He's a he's a great character. I mean, he really is. Oh, he's wonder. And again, I don't want to get too spoilery here. Um, I was surprised to see him in. So again, just earmuffs for 15 seconds. I was surprised to see him in the second episode. But man, they did an incredible job with him. He's just such a giving character. And he brings so much to the story and brings so much to light. And it lets us see this softer side of the Mandalorian who really does have his own code. He does want to do right by the people who do right by him. I don't know if we're going to get him in more episodes. I hope we do. I don't think we're going to get him week after week after week, but I hope towards the end of the season, he at least starts coming back a little bit. He's wonderful. Yeah. It would be cool if there's like a, a culmination thing and, and he's a part of it. I'm just saying, like, I, I've loved The Mandalorian, but we need to real talk for a minute. We're two episodes in. We're 25% of the season done, and I have not seen G Gina Carano, and that is a travesty. I thought we were going to get her this week, and that's all I want. Oh, my God. I want her so bad. Oh, she's she's going to be amazing. She's fantastic. Fan-freaking-tastic. So, I mean, hopefully by the time we uh, record our Force Collector episode, we'll have some Gina Carano and we can talk about that and then maybe some Force Collector. I but for now, 
we have to talk about the the newest novel that has come out in the Star Wars mm-hmm. galaxy. And, you know, we talked about nothing big happening, you know, outside of the TV show, The Mandalorian, you know, in, in ancillary material. When, if we're talking about big things happening in the ancillary material, this is it. Because this book is very yeah. much like, it's straight up Avengers Endgame. I mean, I don't know how else to equate it. It's the Avengers Endgame of the the Star Wars canon outside of the films. You know what? I actually thought the same exact thing when I was reading it, especially at very certain points. I was like, ha ha, gang's all here. What? Look at this. That's the perfect analogy, Avengers Endgame. Well, and it negates my idea that we wouldn't see Ray, Finn, and Poe together until Tross, because we definitely got them together multiple times. In a really nice way, too. I like that this is our way of getting to know the three of them, in which they're getting to know the three of them as well. Um, Finn and Ray obviously have some private moments. They We don't necessarily get to see every interaction that they have, but... But getting to see kind of Poe's thoughts on everyone was really great because I I disagreed with you. I didn't think that um, Rise of Skywalker was going to be the first time we saw them all together. I thought it was going to be more like Empire Strikes Back where we jump in years later and our three heroes have this complex relationship and you feel like you've jumped into this in such a real way. You know, in Empire Strikes Back... They are the kind of friend group that I think everyone actually has with their own friends where you bicker, you push each other's buttons, but at the end of the day, there's so much love for each other. And that's what I wanted to see in um, Rise of Skywalker with these three. I didn't want to spend two hours of that getting to know you, figuring out our dynamic and figuring out how we work well together. So I like that they got that all covered here. Yeah, and I... I remember in Spark of Resistance, uh, which, of course, is a junior novel, it felt like Finn and Poe had been friends for years, um, even though they literally just met like an hour and a half ago. So I kind of liked that this one was them kind of awkwardly figuring each other out. Like, of course, Finn and Poe are... are... Do you mean Poe and Ray? Yeah, Poe and Ray in particular, yeah. But just kind of the trio in general, like... Poe having to ask, like, what's up with Rose and what's up with Ray and um, those kind of things. It just felt like, all right, we're taking a minute to pause and actually consider that these are human beings creating relationships and it's not going to go um, smoothly. What I found really interesting is, like, how Ray is very much in the background because she was on the cover. So I kind of figured she would be a super important part. And we don't really see her that much. No, but when we do, it's important. Yeah. And I I think I would prefer that as opposed to making her forefront and center every other chapter, having her point of view at all these different times. When we do see her, it's really important. Um, one of the cool things that I think Rebecca Roanhorse did with Ray is took away that confidence that she started to have um, towards the end of The Last Jedi. And we go back to seeing her really unsure of her place and unsure of how she fits into all of this because that's the point of Rey. That is everything that she personifies is figuring that out for yourself as you go and where you are and part of the 
piece of the puzzle you are. So in this book, I thought the cool part really was she's unsure if she can speak at certain meetings. She's unsure if she can bring certain things to Leia's attention. And she doesn't really know. You know, I think that she's becoming more confident in her ability with the force. And she's becoming more confident with who she is on her own, but she hasn't quite figured out how to interact with other people and how to play on a team this way. So I like that we saw that of her. And then when she did feel the need to step up and when she did feel the need to bring certain things to people's attention, it was crucial. It was game changing instead of just Ray is talking every other line. Yeah. I mean, definitely agree with you there and that that final i don't remember if it was her exactly her last scene but that kind of culmination for her when she senses something and, and tells leia and leia is telling her to trust her her feelings i thought was was really cool because i mean again we're not going to have a lot of time in rise of skywalker to see ray training um to see ray like i think we're going to see her struggle with where she fits into the force, but I, I don't know if so much we're going to see her struggling with understanding the force. And so it's cool to see that aspect of her training here. I mean, yeah, it was, and it was just kind of the same thing with Rose. Like Rose was very much a side character, but I felt like whenever we saw her, it, it kind of, it wasn't forced, you know, like she very much was a background character in this book. Connix was a background character in this book. There was a lot of people we know who who didn't get a lot of screen time, if you will, but it felt like it felt like one of the films, you know, and the, the ancillary characters were ancillary and this is not their story right now. We can tell those stories another time and we didn't try to explain everything about everybody that everybody likes, you know, which is a really easy thing to do in a book like this where you basically are you know, bringing everybody back, getting the gang back together. It's easy to go off on what Rose is doing and what Connix is doing and all those side characters. But I think uh, Rebecca Rowanhorst really focused the text really well. Yeah, and it was a nice balance too because it wasn't just that characters were not underutilized, I guess. Um, but, you know, the the main players who we didn't spend as much time with, we didn't sacrifice time with anyone else um so i think you know wedge and nora are the perfect examples you know how i feel about nora wexley i know how you feel about nora wexley oh it's i have not stuff positive to say. on any of our <laughs> points of views um at least from aftermath i'm interested to hear your thoughts on it here i have thoughts but <laughs> we'll, we'll get there um but i thought wedge and nora were the two closest in terms of, okay, I'm getting a little tired here. You know, I don't know if I needed as much time with Wedge and Nora as we had, but every single time that I was reading a chapter or two about them and focused on them, as soon as that thought crept into my mind, as soon as I was like, okay, I'm a little sick of this, it switched. And chapter ended, we're on to someone else. And that was something that really stuck out to me was when you have a big cast like this, that's hard to do. But every, sing every single time I was like, I'm starting to get a little done here. The beat just changed. It was perfect. Yeah. So talking about Nora, I realized I'm still not, 
I'm still not a fan because like the canon is the canon and the reality is she ditched her son multiple times to, you know, go chasing waterfalls. But I realized a big part of why I don't like Nora is how Chuck Wendig wrote her. Um, I feel like here, Rebecca Roanhorse had a better understanding of what the character is. Um, I feel like she establishing that guilt that she feels when Snap and Kare come and land and, and she can't even really go face him is something that we didn't really see in Aftermath. Like, Aftermath, she showed up and she's like, but wait, I'm your mom. You should love me. Yay, be happy I'm here. And he's like, you abandoned me. And it was awkward from Snap's point of view, but it never was really... You never felt bad for Nora because you're like, you kind of screwed up. But here... I feel like I'm still not a fan. Um, I couldn't like couldn't care less about her, but I feel like Roan Horse did a better job of writing the character, and I can kind of understand what Wedge sees in her there. I I don't think it was Chuck Wendig though, and I'm not the biggest Chuck Wendig fan. I've never claimed to be. Um, some might say I just don't like him. That might be closer to the truth. Um, or like him as an author, I'll say, speak your truth. Um, (laughs) I'm not, I don't think he's the best thing star Wars has ever put on their billing. Um, regardless, I don't think Nora Wexley was totally unbearable in aftermath because of him. I think it was an age thing. I didn't really take the big change in her as a change in author. I took it more of look at how much time has passed and how much she's learned in that time. You know, she's a totally different person. She's mellowed out so much. She's off living this farm life that seems to really suit her and she seems to enjoy. She has made peace with herself. She's made peace with others. But the main character flaws were still there. You know, she was pretty selfish in this. She is pretty hard-headed. She is difficult for the people around her to deal with and to get through to. The people who love her are willing to put up with that. I don't know if anyone else really would. Um, but that's that's why I think because she still had those inherent flaws, I didn't take it as a change in author. I just took it as her maturing. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, I have a lot of problems with how Chuck Wendig writes just in general. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it diminishes the characters. Like, I didn't really feel like Wedge was back in the Aftermath books. Like, there was a guy there, and people called him Wedge, but he never felt like Wedge. And here, he felt like Wedge Antilles, you know? And I don't even know how to really explain it. But this book, I, I mean... It really does a good job of, like we've been saying, you know, balancing the characters. And I kind of wonder if, you know, they're bringing any of these characters back, like Sir Linda or Nora, um, because they're going to be in Rise of Skywalker. What do you think the chances are? Like, we know we're getting Wedge in some way, shape, or form in Rise of Skywalker. Do you think we see maybe like a, a resistance meeting table, like in Rogue One, and there's Nora and there's Sir Linda, and they don't name anybody? particularly or like point anybody out but we know exactly exactly how i think it's gonna go down i think it's gonna be like when you see the ghost in rogue one where 
you could tell the first time seeing it in theaters who watched Rebels because certain people gasped and pointed, others didn't. I think it's going to be like that now. Um, I think, you know, Shriv is a perfect example. He's noticeable. People are going to see him quickly, but they're not going to linger on him. And Shriv, I mean, I definitely want to talk about it. Let's go to Shriv. I'm always down to talk Shriv. Yes, please. This was the perfect example. You know, I had kind of mentioned this with Nora, Rebecca Roanhorse just did a great continuation. Um, you mentioned Sir Linda, same exact thing. We meet her in the Poe Dameron comic books and now we pick up and it is exactly like what you had pictured her. Um, the, the voice really carries through, but Shriv is like the perfect example because he's so unique and he's so noticeable. When we meet him in the Battlefront video games, he has this this way about him that it would take a very talented stage actor to pull off. There's a certain charisma there where he has like that Han Solo devil may care, but actually I really care a lot attitude. Um, He, you know, he has these unique mannerisms, this unique voice. There's a lot there that's hard to pull off in a screen presence way, let alone in a on the paper two dimensional way. But she did it. Rebecca Roanhorse did it. She found the perfect way to get each and every one of these characters who she didn't come up with on paper. It's one thing to say, this is my baby. This is who I'm creating. So obviously anything that I do and say is what they would do and say. But to take all these characters that other people created, other people envisioned, and other people brought to life... And to say, I'm going to take all of this on and do it, in my opinion, absolutely flawlessly is nothing short of a miracle that she accomplished. And Shriv, to me, was just the be-all, end-all. If you could pull that off, you could pull off anything. Yeah. I mean, very rarely do I read and actually hear the character's voice. Like, very rarely. This, this and, was it, though. Yeah. Like, that's one of my problems with, like, Vader in the books is I feel like it's hard to get that particular cadence that he speaks with onto the page. And so you, you don't really hear it in the same way. And so it, it, there's always that cognitive dissonance between the Vader in the screen and the Vader in the books. I think the the best example is Claudia Gray with Princess Leia. I mean, in, in all the books that she's written, like I've said it before, I said it to her, like the way she got it, it, it felt exactly natural off of the screen. Um, and, and this was kind of the same thing with Shriv and, Oh, I mean, did you almost cry every time they mentioned Inferno Squad or Aiden? Because I was like, yes, oh. a thousand times. Yes. And eight times they said, you know, my mom or they talked about it. Just, oh, my God. Well, and but I, I was I was thrilled with Zay and Shriv. I mean, aside from just how Rowan Horse wrote them. I love that relationship. I love yeah. that pairing. And I was so nervous. There is one part in this book where you really think they are saying their final goodbyes and you get the feeling they both think the same thing, but neither one of them are going to say it. So you're like, Shriv's about to go. I was so nervous and upset, which shocked me to my core because as much as I really liked those two characters, I didn't know how much I liked the two of them together. And that is, that's kind of like that awakening where this book works, this relationship works. Yeah. And I mean, 
you st- I guess my biggest fear was that these characters were going to be brought back and it's like, hey, look at this character in this scene and hey, look at this character in this scene. And you would get the impression that all these people were here, but it wouldn't really feel like a team. And I think what Rebecca Roenhorst did is really bring them together as a team with their dysfunction and their issues and their mistrust and everything like that. And I mean, I remember reading... When, when Zay shows up in the first, what, like 10 pages? And I was like, oh, it's happening already. It's happening already. And I was like, but then she's probably never going to get mentioned again. They're going to send her off on some other mission. But it was like, hey, Zay Miko's here. Inferno Squad matters. And then she was like a good part of the book. And I was like, this is fantastic. And her and Shriv being Inferno Squad, I mean, come on, people. I mean, so good. There's every heartstring plucked. I don't even have any heartstrings left. She just like cut them out and ripped them up and threw them into a blender. And there you go. Drink it up. There's your heartstring shake. I have no idea where that metaphor is going. I just kept talking. <laughs> but that's how I, I was you'd pull it together. But no, it it was. That's so how I feel about I, it. It's like I can't put words I think to it. The reason it worked really well is that it wasn't just a collection of greatest hits album. There were enough new characters who it's not necessarily that they were really important, but they brought enough tension between the people that we already know. So there was that beautiful balance of new characters mixed in with the old. Everyone is interacting throughout. It's not just here are these two pairings and that's it. It's here are these two pairings mixed with these two pairings and another new guy thrown in. It was just this really nice blend, which I thought was really cool. And it was fun for me, too. I don't think I told you this, actually. I read this in a really different way than I've ever had to before, which I was excited about. It was a little challenging, um, or I thought it would be challenging, but it was really fun. So... One of my friends had texted me a few days before, and he goes, you know what? I've decided I'm going to buy Resistance Reborn. I don't usually read every single Star Wars books, and I know this. If if there's one like Bloodline where I'm like, Nick, you have to read this one. This one's important. He'll read it. Otherwise, he kind of goes through like the Nerdist articles, some Reddit threads. He'll watch watch videos um so he stays up to date but he doesn't really ever take the time to sit and read them as soon as they come out he waits until i tell him like this is a good one um so i was really surprised that he was planning on reading this the first week it came out but he even said to me he was like i i feel like this is going to be a big setup i don't want to miss anything in rise of skywalker um So this book came out on Tuesday. I had finished it by Wednesday. Of course. I knew he was going to read it on Friday. So what I did for him was as I was reading it, I actually wrote down and kind of made a little cheat sheet for him. Anytime a character was mentioned, and I didn't necessarily give away all the big spoilers for the other stuff, but I would just say, okay, you know, this character, here's the two books and a comic book that they were in here's what you need to know about them just for what's relevant to the story. So I didn't go through their entire bios. I didn't write their Wikipedia page. It was just, here's what's important for this story. And I sent him that cheat sheet 
so this way he, cause he was nervous about this. He was really nervous that he either wouldn't get things and it would go over his head or that there would be these new characters they had. And he would feel like he was missing something, not knowing they were new characters. So I made that cheat sheet for him and it was actually a really fun little exercise for me going through to just be like, okay, yeah, you know, this, this character, this is everything that they were in and going through the book, kind of jogging my memory for what happened before with that character. Um, and, and I think it was nice because there wasn't too much where if you haven't read every book and comic book and played every video game, you're not losing out on the story, but it obviously makes it so much more incredible. And it just really, I think, again, can't say enough great things about Rebecca Roanhorse, really shows off her writing chops. Um, so I forget how we even got to that, but I, I was pretty impressed with myself that I was able to put that cheat sheet together for him without looking at a single Wikipedia page. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You should you should uh, post it in the Facebook group for other people who... Yeah, that's not a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, you mentioned it being like Star Wars Greatest Hits, and, and we talked about this on, again, I'm going to say, the last episode of Clashing Sabers, um, but my thing that I really didn't want was rise of skywalker to be a star wars greatest hits album and i feel like this was but i feel like the novel a novel is a, an appropriate place to have that because yeah you're you're catering to a different market you're you're doing something different she's not writing this you know a this epic conclusion to the saga but even if it's not that she's not writing this fantastical mythic epic in the in the vein of the odyssey and beowulf and those that came before she's writing a, a star wars book you know and there's while there are stakes there's there's i mean in the book and for herself and for you know the publication and all, all of that stuff it has a different feel to it you know than, than going to a movie and seeing like here's shriv and now we're going to give you all his background and it just felt a little more like an appropriate place to do that than than this. Because even Avengers Endgame, there were points where I'm like, all right, and here's another guy, and here's another guy, and here's well, another guy. Well, you know, it's, it's, I think, more important here, too. You know, we'll keep the Avengers Endgame and this analogy going. Avengers Endgame is just that. It's the Endgame. You can have this culmination, and it is a true culmination. It's the last time you'll ever see some of those characters. Um, it really is a final chapter of a story. What I think is really cool about this is we're bringing all of these new characters in to start something new. Instead of, here's the end, here's your final goodbye, take your time with this. It's still really exciting, and there's a lot of energy because it's, here's all my favorite characters from every single story, you know, here's, here's Zay, who's, you know, um, Iden Versio's kid, and here's Ransom Casterfo, who we've oh been saying God. for years, I want him back. Here's How have we not talked about him yet? So, oh, we're getting there. But here's everyone who I'm so excited for, and they're doing something really exciting, and they're starting something instead of, here's everyone I'm so excited for, let me have this incredibly bittersweet moment, because it's about to be it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now let's talk Ransom. Casterfo. Oh, I mean, I intentionally didn't text you about it because 
I wanted to hear your reaction live. I had you and I had like an incredibly deafening silence for the two days we were reading this because I don't think norm, normally when we both start a book, we'll text each other like, what page are you on? What page are you on? What part are you at? And it's fine. I don't think either one of us went to be like, did, did you get there? No. Did you get it? Are you there yet? <laughs> it was great. I mean. Uh, well, because first they, they just say the name. And for me, that was really exciting. And if that was all we got, I would have been fine with it. And then they say the name again. And then they make a mention of it. And then you're, you see him in prison. And then you see him in like It's like every single thing. I was like, this is great. This is probably all we're going to get. And it's okay. And they just kept going and going and going. And they probably, what a ballsy move to bring him back. I was so happy. Yeah, it really was like, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he is dead at the end of Bloodline and you're reviving him here, you know, and then he survived, I guess, like, so Bloodline happens like five years before Force Awakens, Resistance I Reborn is, think so. so Resistance Reborn is somewhere like six years later, um, and, and I mean, six years of hard labor and probably some torture thrown in just for fun. I mean, that ha would have to break somebody. And, and to see him and Leia reconnecting and to almost feel all of that just wash away off of him, you know, and, and the sense of relief you get with Leia, it was fantastic. I was going to say her too. The It feels so deserved on both of their ends because you – you get the feeling he too has been through a lot and Leia meant so much to him. And then obviously we know Leia has been through a lot in just the past two weeks alone of this story, let alone her life. Um, so it feels really deserved that each of these characters kind of gets to catch that break and have that friendship back. Yeah. And I think also not, not just the fact that it's a, a friendship, but the fact that Leia is willing almost to risk the resistance, I mean, to get these prisoners. And yes, it's bigger than just Casterfo, but I feel like regardless of the stakes, because she knows it's him, um, I imagine like through the force, she knows it's him. She's willing to do literally almost anything to to help him gain his freedom, um, to bring him back. And I mean, if you think about if you think about he's he's part of the reason she's ostracized by the galaxy, you know, by revealing that her father is Darth Vader. And while they do reconnect in bloodline and you, and you feel like she has forgiven him, it would be really easy for her to keep him at an arm's distance, you know? And, and sure. There's that forgiveness, oh, yeah. but not and necessarily the trust. Maybe, I mean, maybe we also needed to put her through the ringer. She lost her husband, her brother, she lost Holdo Maybe if she had those remaining lifelines, she wouldn't be quite as uh, as pushy to get him back. Yeah. Um, if she still had those other lifelines, it could have been just, you know, he was a nice to have, but he wasn't crucial. But now she's willing to sacrifice absolutely everything for all the prisoners, but I think mostly him. Well, and um, if you think about kind of the time she loses him and the time she loses Ben there as far as we can surmise so far, we don't have like definite dates on it, but they're pretty close to each other. So I think on a subconscious level, getting him back from this prison is 
a sense of hope that she can get Ben back from the prison that he's put himself in. Wow. That because as we know from Chirat in you, not all prisons. What's oh god, what's the line? Not all prisons have bars or something like that. Yeah. Oh my god. Note to self, don't start a quote if you can't finish it. Yeah, probably true, but I'm going to do it anyways. I have spoken. So, let's talk about Leia. <laughs> let's talk about Leia in this book because I mean, like I mentioned earlier, it's hard because Carrie brings this intangible thing to to Leia that I feel like for many, many years up until uh, honestly, like Captain Marvel, it was really hard to get a a character that had a similar feel. Like as much as I love and adore Padme, she doesn't have the same feel that you get with Leia. And there's that it's just that intangible it, you know, that we can't really define. But Claudia Gray is able to to transfer that over and she gets whatever that it is. Did you feel I, like Rebecca it, Rowanhorse it did with Leia in this book? Oh, 100%. Because yeah. I think the it we're talking about is just that little tiny attitude where if you push that person the wrong way, you're going to hear about it. You know, if you push Padme in the wrong way, you're going to get a dissertation on why you're wrong and here's all the logic. She could shoot you in the face from 100 feet away if she wanted to, but you're just going to get a... It'll be like when I would mess up in school in like seventh grade, I had a 30 minute car ride home with my mom and it was like, Oh my God, she's going to talk for 29 of these minutes. Yeah. Um, that's kind of Padme. Whereas Captain Marvel, princess Leia, it, it's an attitude brought out by the actress, you know, Brie Larson is just someone who seems like the coolest person in the world. Carrie Fisher was obviously the coolest person in the world. So it's just that little tiny smidge of this person's awesome, but don't mess with them. Um, I do definitely think it came about in Resistance Reborn. She was maybe a little bit more regal than I would picture her as in these private moments. She doesn't quite let her guard down the way. She kind of... She leans more towards princess than general in this, and I was expecting more general. Um, but I think regardless, she Rebecca Rowanhorse still got as close as a person could who is not Claudia Gray. Yeah, and I think maybe there's a place for that princess instead of general, you know, because the Princess Leia is the one who you know, helped blow up the second Death Star. Princess Leia is the one who, you know, got the Death Star plans to the rebellion. So maybe, it, I'm thinking maybe it was like an intentional going back to her old ways. Because if you if you think about what Leia's been through since she's been general, right? Loss of Dakar, everything that happened in Last Jedi, allegiance, you know, and, and what it, from what we have so far is costing her friends in the Mon Calamari. What we see here with what it costs Ryloth and, and her close friend Yendor, like General Leia is someone, Princess Leia went through a lot of stuff personally and stuff like that, but 
generally as a leader, I think as somebody who hasn't had the successes that Princess Leia had, if we're going to kind of divide it between the two. And so maybe That's a great point. going back to that old form is a little bit intentional because maybe we see more of the princess side of her in Rise of Skywalker. And it's that that inspires Rey to to kind of take up that mantle um, that that Luke and Leia kind of split in the OT. You know, I'm actually really happy, too, that you brought up Yandor and everything that he had gone through, because one of the things Rebecca Roanhorse did really nail down with Leia is brought about from that loss. You know, we see Yandor lose his daughter, and I think that in other stories, either in Star Wars, but especially outside of Star Wars, we would see characters who have been through everything Leia's been through, and they're hardened by it. And they could very easily look at the fact that Yendor just lost his daughter and say, well, I lost my entire planet. I lost my son, my adoptive parents, my brother, my husband. And look at everything I've gone through and I'm still here. I think that's a really human and realistic thought to say, I don't care what that person been through. I've been through worse. I'll get over it. Of course they'll get over it. But instead, even with all that, Leia still takes a moment and you can tell she genuinely feels that pain for Yendor and wants to give him that moment to mourn his loss, but still stays focused. I think that that's one of the most defining characteristics of Leia that we don't get an opportunity to see really often. So I'm happy that we saw it here. Well, I think that's one of the things that kind of separates the princess and the general. The princess is the side of her that has that empathy and is able to, you know, give, give Yendor that moment to kind of grieve in his own way, even though he knows, you know, cause he's a, he's a general too. He knows what needs to be done. It's that general side that is able to go like, all right, but we can more, you know, save our sorrows for later, as she says in a new hope, you know, and, and we have this mission to accomplish. I feel like that's like the general side where the, you know, I think back to the Princess Leia comic where she's sitting and she's writing letters to uh, the the families who have lost children in this war, you know, the soldiers who have died. And to me, that's kind of the princess side of things versus the general side of things, which is, you know, like I said, that, that leader, that mm-hmm. the one that has to slap Poe in the face and demote him, even though she knows he was doing it with the best of intentions. Uh, the one that, you know is able to, to pick up Yendor and, and kind of not necessarily shut off that em- empathetic side of things, but to be able to say, like, like save our sorrows for later. This is something we can't deal with right now because if we do, then we're going to get shot and, and die and the Resistance is going to be dead and the First Order is going to rule with an iron fist for who knows how long. Going back also to Twilight Generals, because um, I think we definitely cover Leia. I think you and I can definitely agree on the finer points of Leia's character and how it was brought about here. Um, but Twilight Generals, what did you make of our very own Harrison Dula not being in this story? Did you expect to see her or have any mention of her? Do you think it was intentional that we didn't? I mean, I have hope. Um we obviously saw the ghost in the the Rise of Skywalker trailer. I mean, it's a VCX 100. If it's anything but the ghost, 
talk about things I don't want to happen. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's holding back because we're going to see her. I really, I could definitely see like a round table rogue one type situation where we have like Hera and Sir Linda and Snap and all, you know, there's a mix of characters we don't know and characters we do know kind of, you know, leading into that final, whatever that final battle is going to be. Um, I'm okay with it. I guess because we just got Alphabet Squadron so recently, and so we got kind of a hair okay. fix there, and probably also because I'm rewatching Rebels right now, so I'm getting my hair fix. But <laughs> it would have been cool to have her there. It definitely would have been cool to yeah. have her there, or even I think it would be really cool to see Zay and Jason together. You know, two parents of oh, these people. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I would actually really like that. Yeah, that would be super see, cool. I- I was a little nervous by the lack of even a mention of her. Um, I think that knowing what we know of her in Alphabet Squadron, she stayed with the Rebellion long enough. She was high up with the Rebellion long enough that it should have been a noticeable absence if she wasn't there. You know, we got Raken back. Why didn't we get Syndulla back? I think that it was weird she wasn't at least mentioned or even, I would have to double check because at one point when we get to Ryloth, they at least mention Cam and Hera. I don't know if it was characters actually mentioning it or if it was just the narration that mentioned it. Um, but for me, it's like if if she wasn't there, she has to have a good reason not to be. I don't want that reason to be that some point between Alphabet Squadron and now she died. Um, but you I shut wanted, your mouth. I, I said I didn't want it. I said I didn't want it. But I want her then to be doing something big and grand enough that it's a no-brainer. Of course, she wouldn't be there, and that's why no one's bringing it up. I mean, she's obviously off with Ahsoka and Sabine going to find Ezra. Duh. Or maybe they already found Ezra. Oh, man. How cool would it be if, like, you just get this... It would be absolute fan service and i would be totally okay with it which i'm usually not a gigantic fan of fan service but if you get the millennium falcon dropping in and then you like go in the cockpit of the falcon and then you go in the cockpit of the ghost and you just see all these characters you just go in these different cockpits as you know kind of in the uh all wings reported in kind of way you know where you just get this glimpse and you see like jason and Hera flying with like ahsoka and sabine you know, and, and Ezra. That's and, all I need. I don't need so them cool. to have a big part. Just a, uh, all right, they're there. Yeah, that they're would good. be, that would be dope. Let's go to Poe because I really, I mean, Rebecca Rowanhorse considers him the main character. I would kind of consider it uh, a, a split between Leia and Poe. But this is the first time we really get to see Poe living with what he did in The Last Jedi and the mistakes that he made. Do you feel like it, I mean, just, do you feel like it was done well in this book? Do you feel like that's how Poe Poe would feel uh, after the events of The Last Jedi? I do. And the reason I feel that way is because he hasn't seemed to completely forgiven himself. You know, we get it in his conversations with Maz in how moved he is when other people stick up and defend him and defend his choices. I wouldn't have bought it so much if it was, okay, here we are less than a week after he basically single-handedly destroyed the resistance 
and he seems to be fine. He seems to be walking around like, I learned my lesson. I'm so much better. He really is still struggling. He's on the right path and he wants to be able to forgive himself, but he just can't yet. Um, so that's that's why I kind of buy into it and why I like where his character is at this point in the story. And he even by the end of it, I still don't think he's really forgiven himself. I don't know if he ever will, but you get the feeling like he's trying. Yeah, and I mean, I think maybe he will be able to forgive himself one day, but I think it's something that he's not ever going to forget, um, which is far more important, you know, now that he's very much a leader of the resistance. Not that he wasn't before, but Leia was kind of grooming him and, and Last Jedi is showing how he's not ready for that. And I feel like this is him being like, you know what? I We don't have time for ready, you know? Like, the First Order is here. I need to get this figured out. I need to figure out how to deal with it. I need to tell these people, you know, th- his family. I mean, the the struggle he has telling Black Squadron is really compelling because... I mean, it is kind of a trope to, you know, have one person be like, oh, I did this terrible thing. And the other people are like, well, yeah, but we did this terrible thing and this terrible thing. But I didn't see it coming because I was so consumed by Poe's sorrow and, and his grief over what he did. Because I've talked about I didn't like Poe in The Force Awakens. So I'm not into that, you know, braggadocious flyboy who, you know, can go around and, and shoot a whole bunch of TIE fighters and do these great moves and has no flaws, which is what I feel like we got in The Force Awakens. And so to see him knocked off that pedestal in Last Jedi is compelling because it's kind of, it's almost a meta thing saying like, we know he's this trope, but he's this trope so that we can destroy this trope, which I think is is really interesting. And so then to get him here and get those intimate moments inside his head when he's, to see him struggling with that, um, and that those lessons on crate actually mattered and hopefully will hopefully will go into the last Jedi. You know, I, I really or excuse me, into Rise of Skywalker. I really wanna I w I don't just wanna see Finn and Poe as these good leaders. I, I wanna see them dealing with the scars that they have, you know? And that I mean, Star Wars is tragedy as our friend at Skytalkers say, but like that's part of what makes it so compelling is these are these are heroes, but they're heroes with significant flaws um, that I don't think we get so much in other stories like a Harry Potter or even the Marvel films. That yes, these characters have flaws, but they're also the hero, you know. And well, that's that's the difference, though. It's not that you know in Harry Potter and Marvel and even DC, these characters are flawless it's that their flaws don't really seem to have as big of consequences yeah. as these ones do. You know, Poe isn't just strong-headed and trigger-happy. He's strong-headed and trigger-happy, and because of that, people get killed. Um, Finn isn't just afraid to commit to a cause. He's afraid to commit to a cause, and because of that, people are really at risk of being killed that he could otherwise prevent. Um, Ray, same thing. Her flaws are, I think, a little less monumental than someone like Poe's, but still she needs to figure out where she plays her role in all of this and she needs to be secure in all of this so that she has the ability to go in and influence Kylo Ren and potentially take down the First Order. But in Star Wars, I would say that's the big difference. The character flaws 
are just as consequential as the villain's flaws. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of, of phrasing it because I mean, yeah, in, in and mind you, I love obviously love Harry Potter, love Marvel, love all those things, but it does there are points where it kind of plays with kid gloves, you know? And yes, you know, these villains are terrible, the heroes they have their problems, but everything gets worked out pretty swiftly, and that definitely is not happening, especially in the sequel trilogy. Um, we see it, you know, with Luke, especially in uh, Empire Strikes Back. We obviously see it with Vader and Anakin and that whole dynamic. And so, getting that continuing on to the sequel trilogy, and hopefully, getting kind of a resolution of what do heroes do when they are flawed, um, because we see even Luke didn't fully learn that lesson until the Battle of Creighton. So do they take those lessons and, and continue them on? And not just do, do those lessons inspire, you know, the kids across the galaxy, like we see at the end of The Last Jedi. Not only do they inspire Rey, but I want to see those lessons, you know, be something that Poe uses to cope with his grief and uh, Finn uses to, to figure out his place in the galaxy. I hope whether it is in Rise of Skywalker or in more stories we get taking place between Resistance Reborn and that, um, I really like that Star Wars takes these problems more head on and really deals with them. So I I definitely agree with you. I don't know if we're going to necessarily see it so much forefront and center in Rise of Skywalker, but I think eventually over the next few years, we're going to start to see more stories dealing with it. Yeah. So... If you're if you're avoiding like every little teensy weensy nugget of Rise of Skywalker spoiler material, um, skip ahead a few minutes um, or just go ahead and, and stop listening now. We're get- very very minor spoiler. Like we don't even really know what it's about yet, but just a spoiler warning there. We had in our group chat, and I've seen it in a few places on the internet. Um, a snake show up in the form of this emblem that's kind of a, a sword with a or a lightsaber rather with a white snake wrapped around it and it says true Jedi on it. And then in this book, we get a white snake wrapped around someone's neck holding very important information. I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, that and... Don't forget, too, I had texted you guys the other day because we were already talking about this snake. Um, I had at Celebration pre-ordered a Geeky Tiki for one of my friends. And they gave me, like, all these stirrers. um, You know, and they're just fun kind of tchotchke things. Um, But there's, like, a Vader one, a Chewbacca one. And I didn't realize until this week because I went to go throw it at someone and it broke. Um, As one does. (laughs) Clearly. I think I was throwing it at my boss too. Um, The Yoda one broke. So I picked it up off the ground and I never realized that at the bottom of it was a snake. Um, You know, and it's, it's literally just a margarita stirrer with Yoda on the top and now this coiled up snake on the bottom. I will tell you, I've been paying extremely close attention while going through Fallen Order and the Mandalorian episodes to see if I can find any other snippets of a snake, especially in Fallen Order, where it's more about 
kind of the I don't want to get too deep into it, but obviously it, it has more of a connection synopsis, to the we Jedi. Know, yeah, yeah, we're we're dealing a lot more with the ancient Jedi. Um, I don't know what to make of it though. It's it's important. Yeah, it's going to be something. I I don't know what. And what's interesting to me is too, we haven't had kind of like a Star Wars translation of it. We talked a lot in aftermath. One of the things we didn't really like about that trilogy was. Everything had Earth names. Yeah, we don't have a Star Wars name for it's just a snake. Like that's it. It's just, it's just a snake. It's just it's a common USA garden snake. For all we know, um, I I think it's an interesting tease, and they've done it now in so many ways and so many forms that it has to be something. I just don't know what. Yeah, I've been listening to, uh, or I just finished listening to The Power of Myth with Joseph Campbell, um, the Bill Moyer interviews, and he talks about the snake. The, the snake has, you know, two, I guess, definitions, if you will. One is kind of the the Anglo-Christian point of view of a snake, which is the snake is the tempter. But then you also have in, I believe he said, like, some Hindu, Hindu Hinduism and... Uh, Buddhist culture, the snake is is looked up to because it sheds its skin. So I'll be interested to see which angle that Star Wars takes with it. Is the snake the temp the tempter? You know, is this something where we see snakes surrounding Palpatine? You know, or is this does this symbolize the the Jedi? being able to shed their skin of the mistakes that they make and still continue on to do good things, you know, cause that's kind of where Luke fails is he gets this, this skin of being a legend. Um, like we said, he Googles himself and he's not able to overcome that to become the, the Jedi he needs to be. And he talks about that in, in the secrets of the Jedi book. Like maybe if I had not looked at, you know, myself as the legend that everybody else saw me or I had, I had dealt with what that really meant. Maybe I wouldn't have made these same mistakes. So there's a lot of potential. And, and it's like I said, it's hard to figure out right now just because we have so little about them. You know, we don't really yeah. like even here they're conceal. You know, it, it's used to conceal the, the list that they need, but you don't really get what the snake means. No, but they bring it up so many times, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can't, well, not be important and they're both white snakes you know it's a white yes, snake in the true yeah. jedi and it's a white snake here so well that's why too i i didn't know that about the um kind of western religions or i guess eastern religions sorry holding it in the esteem they did being a christian myself i always thought of it more as that temptress more of that sign of evil um, but to think of it as kind of shedding your skin, I like that, especially for this story and the way it was used, where it was kind of protecting something and it would have to, in a way, shed that skin to bring it to light. Um, well, and you have these characters who are shedding their yeah. skin. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're growing into something new. Yeah. All right. So bef- Interesting. Basically, what we're saying is keep an eye out for snakes um, in both real life and Star Wars. <laughs> so let's close out doing um one of our favorite things to do uh which is 
talk about if we get <laughs> how something. Many, how many snakes are we giving it? Uh, oh, hold on to that. We're not there yet. Oh, okay. If All we right. get something connected to Resistance Reborn, whether it be a sequel or whatever you want, what other story do you want that is connected to Res- Resistance Reborn? Man, this is really a hard one because it is the answer to that question. You know, this is if I wanted more Zayn Shriv, I have this. If I wanted more Ransom Casterfoot, I have this. Um, if I wanted a sequel, I have The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I think I would want, can I say an expansion of this? Because I would want... Um, more of those side conversations that we don't get to see, especially when Finn clearly has some kind of conversations with Rose and with Ray about the state of those relationships. I would like to see that. Um, the conversations between Nora and what's her face car, um, where she convinces them to join the resistance. I would like to see that. So really not so much any subset of this, just an expansion of this. I think one thing that as I was reading, I was kind of thinking about um, that I feel like they missed an opportunity is this is called Resistance Reborn. I would have liked it if it was a resistance semicolon or excuse me, colon reborn. And you have a resistance series Mm. of books. So you have Resistance Reborn and then you do Resistance something else with an R, you know, and, and you can even go like post Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker and do like Resistance Remembered or whatever. I feel like they, you know, we, we got the Phasma and Black Spire where they're kind of indirect sequels of each other. We know we're getting a trilogy with Alphabet Squadron. Like Project Luminous is, is going to be insane, whatever it is. They're starting to do these more connected books um, more successfully than they did like for Aftermath, uh, for example, um, even Thrawn, you know, while you and I are not huge fans, those books have a, a strong backing. I feel like they missed a real opportunity. I think they thought too small with this. I I would like this to be a trilogy or I don't think I necessarily want like a 19 book series at any point because I'm one of those people. If I start reading Harry Potter, I have to read all seven of them. So, yeah, you know, but um Just a few more. Yeah, I would just like a direct sequel to it, you know? Um, I think that would be really, really dope. So, all right. Now, let's get to it. We'll we'll say how many good skin-shedding snakes do you give Resistance Reborn? Um, I'll give it a four. I really enjoyed it. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I don't know. I'm going to be interested to see when I reread it eventually. Um, how much of my excitement comes of it comes from just that, just excitement. You know, how great it was to see these characters again for the first time versus how much is really in the meat of this book. And that's only going to come from not being surprised by it and knowing what it actually goes ahead to set up in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, if I was grading the plot of this book, I would give it a three. But I think the fact that... Yeah, because there's not much. No, it's really not. I mean, it's get some ships, you know, grab some weapons, which is what we're getting in a lot of the material. You know, that's what's happening in Allegiance. That's, I mean, to an extent, that's part of, of Spark of Resistance. Um, but the way that these characters that 
we not only know, but love. I mean, Inferno Squad has a hardcore backing of people who are very emotionally attached. You and I, a part of that. And so it would have been really easy to mess that up or make that feel unnatural like uh, oh you're just catering to us because we really like this story but instead it felt like yes this would make absolute sense this is where Zay and Shriv would be this is what they would be saying this is the relationship they would have and I feel like that happened for all the characters for Leia Kesterfo like Sir Linda and Poe just all across the board I feel like the characters that were brought in that we know meshed well with the film characters and meshed well with the characters that were new um it just felt it had it. And so I'm going to have to give it a four out of five also. Um, maybe even the skin of the, the fifth snake, um, but not the snake itself. <laughs> just to keep going, making this metaphor weirder and weirder, <laughs> since that's what I'm doing on this episode, apparently. So, yeah, if you haven't checked out Resistance Reborn, um, I don't know why you're still listening to this point, but it's good. So you should probably go pick it up. I, I actually am hoping that sometime in the near future, there will be the audiobook version of it available at my library because I'm actually listening to Last Shot right now, uh, which for those of you who have been listening, remember Lindsay and I weren't crazy about. Um, and it's actually, I, I'm kind of enjoying the audiobook format of it possibly a little bit more than than the actual novel itself. So I, I'll be excited to see oh, yeah. what the what the Resistance Reborn audiobook um, is kind of like once that once that's available to me. But until then, we will be here reviewing all the books and talking about all the Star Wars content and analyzing and overanalyzing and apparently doing terrible metaphors. Uh, but hey, you know, <laughs> we have our we have our niche and that's what we're gonna do. So make sure you're staying tuned there. Stay tuned for more information on the nonprofit um, and the fundraiser and how you can become a part of that. Lindsay, tell them where to find you. You guys can find me on Twitter at the lady of lore, but mostly if you're going to spend time looking into any of us, I would rather you look into the nonprofit. We are really excited about that. So certainly stay tuned. But if you really, really, really want to talk to me, I really, really, really want to talk to you at the lady of lore. Yep, and you can keep up with all of that uh, on Twitter at Clashing Sabers, our Facebook group, which we will... Um, we're going to be providing, like I said, a preview day um, where people in the Facebook group will be able to bid first on uh, those silent auction items. So if you're interested in any of those, make sure that you are in that Facebook group. And I think that's it. Twitter, Facebook... If you, if you want to leave a rating and review, we'd appreciate it because the higher we get up in iTunes and the more people are going to hear about this and hopefully the more uh, good work we can do getting Star Wars books into the hands of students. And just to kind of close out, um, we will be doing used books um, for a while until we see how, how, I guess, big we can make this thing. Um, I talked about it on the last episode, but I do want to eventually be able to afford some of the hard um, bound like comics and uh, younger reader books so that we can get those into libraries at schools that be are grossly underfunded. Um, and to be clear too, the used books is strictly for the donations. Everything in the auction will be new. It will be autographed. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, those, those are new. The, um, auction items are new, and I also put this kind of disclaimer out on 
flashing sabers, but I'll repeat it here as well. This doesn't change anything for our podcast. So don't worry. We are not sacrificing any of the podcasts, any of our online content to move forward with this. This is simply in addition and a really, I think, seamless expansion of what we put out and what we believe at uh, the Clashing Sabers Network. Yep, and you can uh, support us, guys. We appreciate it. I guess that's that's my point in all of this. And uh, until next time, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. <laughs>